Hey there, ghosties. Welcome back. It's episode 80 of the Ghost Lights podcast, and this week we sit down with Jordan Lee. He is currently starring in The Crucible over at Miner's Alley. We spend time talking about the early days of growing up in theater and then coming back to Colorado and finding his authentic self. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 80 of the Ghost Lights podcast. Only 20 away from 100. Dan, you know what to do. It's your boy, Sam Gilstrap. We're back. Episode 80. We're only 20 away from 100. The goal for the end of this year. We've we've weathered the storm, um, more or less, of shows and rehearsals. And we are still very much in the thick of things with COVID. So I hope you're wearing your masks when you're, uh, when you're out and about. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you got vaccinated. Um, if you didn't, don't worry. There's still, there's still opportunities to get vaccinated. Um, I hope you're double-checking the science. And uh, with that all being said, the ghosties are back. They're listening. They're patiently waiting to know who this week's guest is. I gave it a little buzz about two weeks ago. He's sexy on top of a chair. <laughs> Jordan Lee, how are you, sir? Sexy on top of a chair. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, you're sexy in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, I, I struggled mightily making eye contact for the vast majority of the oh rehearsal process. And it's predominantly because when I when I wear my glasses, it's different than when I have my contacts on. I don't know why. Um, I guess. Well, I'm just more... to clarify what what the, what you mean by that, mm-hmm. you see me. I'm on a chair a lot in the show that we are currently in together. Yes. Unless you've seen me in chairs randomly about. Oh town. man! When I saw you, like, you, you would chill during rehearsal processes. You know, <laughs> playing right. words with friends. Um, <laughs> maybe right. watching yeah. Breaking Bad That's on his cool. phone. And you just, you just, you know, he looked very powerful and intimidating. And, That's right. Uh, I, I know how to take over a chair. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you so much for being our, our 80th guest. It yeah, was, thank it's you. It's been a pleasure to get a chance to, to work with you and get to know you a little bit. Definitely. And uh, the thought this would be a great opportunity to, you know, make an even stronger bond. For sure. Yeah, so... I will tell you. Yeah. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the tables on you right on the beginning. Oh, no. I've I've seen you in two shows prior, oh. prior to this. Um, the first was Skull of Connemara, I think, or uh, oh. Cripple of Inishman. Okay. Um, and I thought you were fantastic. No, thank you. My friend Meredith Young was in that with mm-hmm. you, and that's what brought me to see it because you know, you're a friend in the show. Mm-hmm. And I, I came up to you afterwards, and I and I uh, gave you you know all the props. And then uh, and then I like pushed you out of the way. Thanks, <laughs> please. Not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> okay, you you actually had that reaction that I think a lot of us have as actors uh, when people we don't know come up to. It. I mean, mm-hmm. we're you know you're 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 almost sort of taken aback by, by it, and so you just kind of take this. Um, this gracious tone, mm. but uh, sometimes I wonder if I seem awkward, uh, you know, in in that tone to people. But in any case, I saw you uh, in that, came up to you, and then I saw you in something else, and then, but what, but uh, I had run into you a couple times between then, oh, and introduced myself, or where, where, in some situation, you and I uh, introduced each other, and. Uh, 
you were like, hey, it's nice to meet you. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, we've met a couple times. Like, oh, oh, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> just, but but that's okay, too. It's just funny to me because, of course, uh, you know, you if you know someone, it happens frequently, especially yeah. when you're an actor, mm-hmm. because you look different in every show that you're, you know, we change every show. Yeah. Um, I'm a chameleon on stage. Uh, so am I. Yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, I, I thought that was funny for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But now, now Here I am like, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. We have a history, Sam. We do. Well, yeah, our history is me, yeah. me uh, thinking you're great on stage and telling you and you forgetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, I get complimented all the time. I'm, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get random text messages, you know, from, <laughs> from, from, the, from the Gil Strappies out there. The, That's right. Uh, the ghosties and the Gil Strappies. Yeah. I don't know what the Dan. Do you have something to add there? The strap-ons, oh. the Gill strap-ons. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I need to. I need to. I need to get a better last name if I'm going to have fans like that. <laughs> if if you uh, if you are a fan of Sam Gillstrap and uh, his likes, please tweet at him at the Ghost Lights Podcast too, and uh, give him your name for my uh, my my quote unquote groupies or fans. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> um, it has been a long time since we've done a podcast. It's been about two months. Um, and I'm definitely like going to like retrace some of my steps, try and get comfortable at it again. One of the things that always helps is our unofficial sponsor. This week it's Glenfiddich 14. <laughs> when, you, uh, when you've got the time and the money, Glenfiddich 14. <laughs> There you go. That's your, that's your plug, Glenn Fittick. Um, please send your real money to uh, my Venmo account. Yeah. Anyway, um, with that being said, I just want to dive right in. Jordan, how did theater happen to you? I came from uh, theater people. Um, I mean, I guess so it was in, you know, it was just uh, sort of my genetic code. My mom is a theater director and writer and uh, and occasional actor. She actually founded Lake Dillon Theater Company. Oh, get out of town. Yeah. Um, so uh, shout out to my ma, oh, yeah. Lenny Singer. Um, yeah, she started that when uh, Summit County was nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then uh, Chris... Alamon and and Josh took it over and have turned it into you know an incredible place as well. So, uh, but yeah, be, and and my my birth dad, uh, he was in theater too. My brother's a professional actor uh, in New York. Um, so we were just you know we were always putting on shows, and I was starring in the shows from like third grade on, you know, and and it just it was such a, a comfortable place for me to be that, I, unfortunately, I never thought through this very well because it was always just something that I did. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, in, in retrospect, after doing this, um, this long and, and professionally, um, for, for 25 years, uh, I, I frequently wonder, Oh wait, what if I had done something else? What, what would that be like? And, but you know, it's, it's, uh, this is a fascinating thing to do for for a life. Yeah, it is. You know, however yeah. long I can I can. I do keep trying to to retire. You know, and do do something else. And I th- every time I do it, which is usually for money. You know, like uh, I need I need to do something else more stable. Then something lands in my lap, and and either the universe is laughing at me when it does that, or it's saying no. This is what you're supposed to be doing, but. I keep doing it. Mm. So. <laughs> well, you talked about like it was always something that you did, the, the comfort level that you felt doing it. How does that manifest? It's, it, it, and 
as a kid, as I, I'm, I'm someone that works with kids, and it's it's rare that you see someone actually in their comfort zone in something in those young stages of their life. Like, mm-hmm. How does that? How did that? Did, were you aware of it then, or is this something that you you're like, oh, I just do this, and then as you got older in retrospect, you're like. Uh huh. Connecting the dots and stuff. I mean, I've 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 also uh, taught and coached a lot of kids, and so I, you know, uh, I think that if anything, my answer would be like, you know, the kid in the group who just is like a natural, just takes to it, and and um, seems to have that that quality, and so I guess that's kind of how both me, my brother and I uh, were as kids. Um, so when, you know, we were fortunate, I assume uh, that grade schools, some of them still have theater, mm. maybe. Some, I hope so. None. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But we did. And, you know, the, the grade school I grew up in. And so they put on plays. And, you know, you're in chorus and you're singing and stuff like that. And so when they're putting on plays and, you know, we always used to do voices and we would do shows at home. So even before it was formalized on the fourth grade stage, um, yeah, I just, it, it felt like second nature. Mm. Yeah, so, I, so I guess that's what it is. And, and yet I, I'm so fascinated actually by actors who come to it much later in life, uh, who, who are amazing actors. And I, and I think like, wow, that's so crazy because it is second nature to me and I have been doing it for so long. And then I think, um, what was that guy doing prior to adulthood or prior to, you know, high school theater or something like that. And not because this was all I did. I, you know, I played sports and I, and, um, you know, did other things as a kid, Mm. but, uh, yeah, I, I just, I always find that fascinating. Was it just that that, that person who came into acting as an adult, uh, didn't have the opportunity to explore it as a kid, which Mm. is why I think it's so important that kids have, that that option have some chance because man there's nothing like theater theater accepts every kid you can be i mean yeah you know you can get clicky and and Mm. everything like any school related thing but theater itself accepts all the freaks and all the but we had i remember we did music man my my when i was in eighth grade and uh, the the jocks were in it, and Mm. all the musical theater kids were in it and you know you you're mixing all these people together and they all come together for that same. I mean, it's amazing what happens. Every time I'm in a play, I've been doing this this long, I'm always re-amazed at how everybody comes together because, and maybe it is because it's so vulnerable and mm. everybody's ass is on the line. Like, I don't want to be the guy who forgets my part. I don't want to be the, the guy who ruins it. And somehow that pressure, everyone together is why it's always so bonding. Like, you know, what we have right now. Yeah. You know, we, we put up this show. This is a crazy beast of a show, The mm-hmm. Crucible, that we're doing at the at Miner's Alley. Yeah, every um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. Sundays at 2. Get your tickets now. Yeah, that's right. Three more weekends. Um, but, you know, it's a beast of a show. A mm. beast of a show. I've done a zillion musicals, uh, you know, and you think, like, nothing could have more moving parts than a musical. This is nuts, it is nuts, and and not only because every single character in this is so integral to to driving this storyline, and it really felt like an orchestra, mm-hmm. and and so each of us, you know, as we're we're putting it all together, but you knew everybody cared so much about this, cared so much about the piece, mm-hmm. cared so much about the theater, cared so much about each other, and of course about their own performance, mm-hmm. and yet you know there's so many stutters for all of us. Um, 
And and then you know you get to that opening and that first weekend, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm hearing the the symphony is finally clicking and it's mm. clicking and it's flowing. And every show, I, you know, I assume it's like this for you too. You it, it you're just seeing it, you know, flow more mm. and more and more, which happens every show. But somehow with this one. Um, and maybe because it's not a musical, so you can't sort of fall back on like, oh, here's this big yeah. musical number, mm-hmm. uh, that always works. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, um, so it's disjointed. This is just like beginning to end, you know, flow. And that's sort of why it feels that way. But the, the stakes were so high because surely you can get this really wrong. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's. It, Right before we opened, uh, someone had forwarded, uh, someone in the cast had forwarded that SNL sketch mm-hmm. about, uh, uh, it's the the cast party. For, that was me. For, it was, that was, <laughs> it was me. you, dude. Was I've watched it so many times, and every time I watch it, it always makes me a little uncomfortable, too, because I'm so afraid that, like, my performance is going to end up being <laughs> as bad as theirs intentionally is in that yeah. sketch, uh, the, the cast party for The Crucible, the high school cast party for The Crucible. And it's much more about sort of high school theater mm. than it is about The Crucible in particular. But I think the reason they chose that play for that sketch is because it has been done for so long and it does get done even at the high school letter, level. And it's probably bad more often than not. Oh, yeah. Uh, because this is heavy, heavy material and you need really uh you need really committed seasoned actors or it's this is a melodrama <laughs> sort of by by every definition yeah. it's high stakes drama right totally. and the chance of it slipping into schmacting is is <laughs> is huge yeah. i was really afraid of that for myself and for the show because who wants to be in something that that feels that way you just oh, yeah. don't it's the opposite of what you want so um but boy it it didn't turn out that way and and it is uh, it surpassed my 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 expectations and it just feels good in that way so i don't know how how we tangented onto that but as far as like uh where we were still talking about like being a kid in yeah, theater. Yeah, being a kid <laughs> and finding that comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, that's um, it, this is a place that I've been comfortable for a long time. But I think what's so interesting about trying to be a professional actor, you know, at any any level. And for me, it was never about like I left LA because I, you know, I couldn't deal with. The pre the whole it's a whole town founded on pretense, mm. and I went to UCLA and it was and pretense, sir. A lot of, I cannot hear you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so many so many quotes, Dan yeah. Forth quotes uh, that are being used. Um, you know, I I I studied acting and theater uh, very seriously at UCLA and felt so prepared as an actor mm-hmm. and so ill prepared for Los Angeles coming out of school because. I wanted something that felt real. Mm. And and it, you can't feel real there. I couldn't feel real there. What do you define as real in that in that in that sense? Authenticity mm-hmm. and and what you have it, you know and and it, which is ironic because we we do make believe for mm. our craft. Mm-hmm. But you do make believe well when you are authentic as a person. Yes. And that's not saying that like every single actor in Los Angeles is, is inauthentic. That's not true at all. But the vibe of the whole place feels very inauthentic yeah. and or, or very um, it seems pretentious. efforted. Yeah, 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 it does. It, it feels much less about the craft and much more about the the schmooze, you know. And mm-hmm. I'm just I'm bad at it. I'm not. It, it doesn't jive with me. And so, Same. Wh- so for me, when I came to Colorado uh, 24 years ago. 
Um, I wasn't coming here to act. I just wanted to get out of LA and my parents had moved back to Colorado. I was originally from here and grew up in Southern California. And then all of a sudden I was auditioning for shows and uh, to be, to my, my first show in Denver was Winnie the Pooh at the Arvada Center. Ooh. Playing Mr. Rabbit. Awesome. <laughs> um, if you were Pooh, I would have I would have asked for your autograph. I, oh, I see. I yeah. see how it hey, is. Hey, I mean, me and Pooh, <laughs> me and Pooh are tight. Uh, you were Eeyore. Oh, forget about uh, that, it. That would have been. Even I want to move in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Rabbit sort of gets the shaft, but he's <laughs> he's actually he's he's a great character. Mm-hmm. So that was my first, and all of a sudden. Uh, I'm being paid to do theater, and and right alongside that it was the same director. It was David and Julie Payne, if you if you know them or have ever worked with them. For I the mean, they're they're like old school Denver theater uh, couple, and they're just the salt of the earth. And they cast me in Winnie the Pooh, and they were directing Dracula at Littleton Town Hall, and they needed one more role filled. And they're like, "Would you be interested in uh, maybe playing this part in Dracula? It doesn't pay much. It only pays, I think it was four hundred and fifty dollars for the run. But I had never been paid." to do theater at that point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other than the, what I was making in the children's theater. And I was like, only 450, are you kidding me? That's, <laughs> you know, I'll take that in RV. I still might take, no, um, <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, then next thing I knew, I'm being paid to do theater. And, and, you know, I was doing voiceover and getting paid for it. I was doing commercials and getting paid for it. And I thought, this is way better than not getting paid to act. Um, and I'll do it in Colorado happily. Mm-hmm. And 23 years later, that's, Pretty much all I've done. Wow. A combination of a lot of things, but um, but yeah, I it's I really feel like uh, the the I, I could not deal with. I just like doing this. I, I it's what I know how to do well, mm-hmm. and it's so. What I find most fascinating about this craft is how there's no other art form. Where we, where the instrument is the person, right, yeah. and that's our body, our speech, our our past, our psyche, our you know our heart, everything, yeah. and that's our that's our thing, and that's why, you know, being authentic as a person is going to translate to how you portray another person, mm-hmm. which is what we're doing, and I I. It's endlessly fascinating for me, and I'm a, I'm a really spiritual person. I'm a, a meditator and a Buddhist, and the more I do this, and the longer I do it, the more I find that roles. Uh, I mean, I'll audition for stuff and not get it right and left, mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden, a role will sort of come into my my lap, and it's like when you, you know, when a book comes into your life, and you're like, oh my god, this was meant for me in this moment. It's so per, and that happens to me with roles all the time now. Mm-hmm. Where I, I I end up playing this role, and I know that it is exactly the right thing at that time because of what I'm going through in my life, or um, you know what I'm what I'm feeling, what I'm uh, conflicted about, you know whatever the case might be, and combine that with meditation practice going uh, hand in hand with what we're trying to do as actors all the time, which is be in the moment, be in the moment. And of course you stray on stage, you stray, you stray, you stray. And what do you do? You keep coming back to the moment. That's what you do in meditation too. And you strengthen that ability more and more and more. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I guess if there was an answer to your question there, it's just that this this is part of my makeup, uh, whether I like it or not. Sometimes I do, sometimes I, I lament uh, lament all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually if I lament it, it's not the craft that I lament, it's the business. Yeah. Because the business is just heartbreaking constantly. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's fearful to not know where your next paycheck's gonna come from. But it also gives you, 
you know, when the 2008 crash happened and, and you had like Wall Street guys who were jumping out of buildings and, and, you know, like terrible, horrible things like murder, suicides. And, you know, because their, their whole world had come crashing down Mm -hmm. all of that security and knowing where your paychecks were coming from, they had no concept of how to deal with that. They, for, you know, it was, I might as well, Mm -hmm. I can't be alive if, if this is how it is. Whereas we are always out of a job. And, and I was going to say before that it's precisely because we're always out of a job that I think we give as much as we do. I mean, obviously we do it for the craft and the mm-hmm. art, but we also do it because we're always auditioning for the next job in our minds, or at least for me, I'm always thinking like, you know, I, I and not just the performance, but how you are, how you work with people, how you do everything. We're always under the gun there, but that's what keeps us fired up. And I have seen people who didn't, you know, in theater, who maybe um, sort of know where their jobs are coming from, whether they're part of a company or whatever the case might be. And um, sometimes I I suspect that that comfort um, undermines that that level of of fire. Um, It's not a given, you know, it's it's not a guarantee, but... (sighs) So, but it, but comfortable is nice too, yeah. you know. So, which is part of what I love about Miner's Alley. Uh, you know, this is my first show there, but um, as much as you feel like you're in a family every show you're in, the fact that this is presented, that Miner's Alley presents itself to actors, new actors who are coming into that mm-hmm. process as uh, as family. Very specifically, you know, oh. first first night read through, and and Len is talking about it in that way, mm-hmm. um, and it didn't sound like or feel like smoke being blown. You know, it, it, you you really sense the again the authenticity of that, yeah. and so it's resonated with me deeply. And now I know why people talk about Miner's Alley the way that they do, mm-hmm. um, and and have for years. And that's that's not to say there aren't tons of this, tons of that throughout yeah. Denver. Um, uh, I'm sure a lot of theaters have that because it is sort of built into mm-hmm. how we have to be when we are this vulnerable with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have that level of closeness. And maybe maybe it does turn into conflict sometimes, but hopefully you can work through that like you can in, in families too. You know? Absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. You, you just touched on it there at the end. I mean, every family's got conflict at some time. And what do you do when you've got conflict with family? You either turn your back or you show up for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, I mean, that's just like you do with a scene partner. Right. When we go up, we show up. Like we, we, we have to, we have to try and find some way to like keep it going. Yeah. And there's, there's no stopping that. I, one of the things I love about Miner's Alley and one of the things I want to echo is like those people, Len, John, Liz, um, Bree, who's our ASM um, on this particular show, like Kate, who's you know one of our, our COVID protocol people, who's been directing stuff for there at the sh- the kids shows for years, and all those people, they're connected to Brenda Billings, RIP. They're connected to um, Rick Bernstein and Paige Larson. Like that, that was all handed down. Rory Pierce is a connection. He's a thread to all that. All of these people, Tim Fishball, that keep have been working together for decades. They're a family and they try and um, not 
maybe not project that on every cast that they they work with, but they 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 exhibit it, they live it. Um, so it, it just kind of rubs off. And that's the thing, right? Yeah. It's it's again, it would be inauthentic if it was just like welcome to the family, mm-hmm. um, but it's not. It's no. it's um, it's completely authentic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what an what an amazing legacy and lore that 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 theater's built. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it. I get it now. I get it. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome to the family. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. We still have three weeks. So we do have know. three weeks. We could, tell, we could totally be disowned <laughs> at any point in time. I might get disowned tonight. I don't know. Uh, well, <laughs> considering uh, this this show has been so strange uh, in particular because Danforth doesn't enter until the second act, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I don't think I've ever been in a show where I only started in the second act and then he comes in the second act is like this is my show now mm-hmm. <laughs> like literally and and uh, uh, you know story wise because he's running the running the trials and he's got such a huge ego and he's such a maniac and narcissist he believes in what he's doing but uh, we know some other people like that in society um no. Yeah, you know. Those people don't exist. That's why it's a play. <laughs> that's right. That's Jordan. right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it is so crazy to come in and really not enter the stage until I think I, I, I'm, I'm hitting there about 940. Yeah. Um, you know, so I come to the theater at, at you know, at uh, 7 oh, o'clock. Heavy. Yeah, I'm, I'm all warmed up and I'm doing my stuff and I'm all ready to go. And, you know, any nor- normal show, you're like, okay, I'm coming in, you know, if not right at the beginning, surely within the first half hour maybe. Um Fast forward an hour and fifteen minutes, and I'm I'm backstage. And I'm like, oh god, now I gotta start. And it's uh, man, and and then he it's it's also very aggressive, and it's very angry, and it's very uh, not who I am as a person. Which in which in general is fun to play for me. I like playing, you know, uh, dark characters, and I like playing um, characters that aren't very much like me. Uh, if I can, even though you're still finding some part in you that that can tap into this thing, totally. but uh, but boy, he is um, he is representative of a toxic masculinity that I am so not about that um, I come off stage and I'm I'm glad to be done, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if I've ever uh, if I've ever felt that way in a play, regardless of what it was, mm-hmm. because I, I I don't. You know, I don't like him. I, I know you're not supposed to judge your character, and when I'm playing him, I like him fine. Yeah. You know, because I'm 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 caught up in the character, yeah. but but I don't. You know, it's it's uh, it's kind of harsh. So, um, but we it's so light backstage with all of us yeah. that it's not like I'm coming backstage in the doldrums either. Because usually I come backstage and then uh, you know someone's making some. Joke or something, and you know, right. you're Why are fine. You at me when you say that? Oh, it's because we're doing a <laughs> podcast together. That's, that's right. Yeah. Well, it's because your chair is first out the back at yeah. the, the stage door. So if you want to get back to your spot, you, you gotta have go to, by me. You gotta, you you gotta, gotta go cross by me. through the gill strap. And the, and, and the vast majority of the time, I'm, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing back there. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see. I try to, you know. Uh, I try to keep, I keep a low profile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, one of the things I wanted to touch on, I mean, yes, one of the reasons you are on this spot is that we are doing a show together that is actively running, and you've touched on some things that are really cool that I, I do want to, like, because I might not have all of them on, but I've, it's, I've only done a handful of large cast shows, say with like 13 people, where every single person should be legit, starring in yeah 
if the the roles were reversed, like every single person could be um, a John Proctor, yeah, ever in this in this show. Right. I mean, we, we, I'm not talking about like as far as their skill set is skill concerned. sets concerned. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, and you want to you want to you want to toss the tables and do some like like gender reversals? Hell yeah, you can do it with every single person in this cast, yeah. and it's really interesting. It, it's I mean, Len I, said that right. Yeah. I mean, he he said it from the get go that he knew because I think he realizes too that if you if you if you try to embark on this beast without uh, really quality actors, you're going to be in trouble. I mean, this thing is three hours plus with mm-hmm. intermission, um, and there's no there's no singing. Nope. You know, or no, I think that maybe a lullaby right in the beginning. Uh, um, Sings. I, think I don't pay attention of, to the first we act. We do a lot of praying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I hymns. do break out into some little Bob Seger in the middle of scene two, but <laughs> nice. that's about it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, when you slide across the floor in your undies? And exactly, you the, yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, 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 these are these are not tidy whities folks. Don't get your hopes up. Um, but yeah, it, that, that does happen. But that adds about 20 minutes to the piece. This is not a good sell for The Crucible and Mind Yourself. No, what I've had, <laughs> what I've found amazing, I, because I was afraid that, that people would be like, <sighs> you know, three hours, you know, for a non-musical. I mean, most musicals aren't, aren't that long unless mm-hmm. it's Les Mis or something. You know, so I was I was afraid. And yet I am not getting a response uh, from either people I, I see who I don't know or people who have already come and seen it that I do know that they, uh, they're they like, eh. Yeah, they don't feel the cut, time. You could have cut some of this. And it's because, first it's because Arthur Miller uh was so brilliant and mm-hmm. such such a, a beautiful wordsmith, and nothing is wasted. Um, I don't think in terms of dialogue, it's it's everything's there on purpose. Yeah. And yet, if you don't have the right people using those words, I'd I'm sure I'd fall asleep. You know, in, in a totally. uh, three hour totally. production of this. So yeah, I, I think again, it's it's a testament to um, everyone's commitment to this that that's not the case, and and. Len's uh, casting and and his vision to make this relevant. I mean, you know, for those who haven't seen it, who mm-hmm. might hear this and and want to see it, it is um, not set in in uh, Puritan sixteen ninety, but it's uh, also not modernized to the point where mm-hmm. you know we're, we're duding it up. You know, mm-hmm. listen, Proctor, <laughs> let me tell you something, Proctor. Um, hey, bruh. <laughs> right, right, yeah. exactly. So it still has that 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 classical speech because the idea that that we've put forth is that this could be today. Mm-hmm. In uh, you know, if you think of like the other day, I was trying to think like something recent, and I was thinking of like the Bundys, right? And oh, yeah. you have this clan, you know, in a small town, and you know the the uh, you know FBI is storming that and everything else, and and you're kind of like, yeah, man, this this could happen in America today in uh, various forms, uh, and. Obviously, the themes of the show absolutely are happening today, but yes. but widespread. This is just a slice of that in mm-hmm. one small town, because mm-hmm. that's how Arthur Miller wrote it to comment on what he was commenting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things I did want to touch on, I think, because you do have this this beautiful source material, the the script written by Arthur Miller. I find actors who are not necessarily confident in their skill set will look at the material and want to want to add more breath to it because it's so weighty um, to steal another line from the play mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's we we I find with a with a gag in my mouth it there are moments where it feels like 
speed it up, guys. Because you, you have to watch it. Yeah, yeah I have to watch it, and I got to breathe for, with this thing in my mouth. But, uh, but yeah, but I feel I still feel like we earn that. I think we're driving up until, and we earn that that respite. We do, but but and I we pick it back up again near the end of that stuff. It's as, great. As the guy who's driving that courtroom scene, as the character playing the character who's driving that courtroom scene, um, again because this was such a symphony, and you know I I knew it wasn't where it needed to be. You know, you of course you want to be polished as soon as you people are watching totally, it. Totally. You know, um, it's just not, and it can't be. We did, you know, we did a. Uh, knock up job, you know, when we opened, I think, but already just a few shows in, it is now, now it's, it's smooth. And, and mm. I knew that so much of that tempo, that courtroom scene, um, I agree that you, we, you know, we have earned the, 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 the cesura, you know, the, mm. the pauses in there. Um, but that said, the tendency, even with polished actors mm. is it's because you see it with Shakespeare all the time. Uh, Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it with Shakespeare all the time where you're not acting on the line mm. where, you know, it's like, let me show you how weighty this is. And in mm. the big pauses. And I mean, I am, I have to rein myself in because it feels like you, you, you want to do that, but it, unless it's earned mm. in a moment, um, it doesn't need to happen. It, you know, the, everything's there mm. on the line. So, yeah. so act on the line. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then then uh, when when those intense moments do happen, you know that they they, they need to happen. Yeah. Those those big those those pauses, yeah. um, those beats. Mm-hmm. So yeah. When we talked about earlier, you were talking about your transition back from California and the things that you were doing. You mentioned your voiceover work. You are also when you're not doing the acting stuff, you're an agent. Yes. Yeah. For which company again? Uh, Donna Baldwin Agency, mm-hmm. talent agent in Denver that okay. I'm sure uh, all the actors who might be listening to this are, are aware of because there's not that many talent agencies in town. Um, and they are, uh, I think, the maybe the oldest in Denver. have been around for 30-plus years. Um, I was represented by them mm-hmm. as an actor for most of the time that I've been here. And uh, wa- the voiceover industry, uh, and I'll, I'll make this really short because it's actually kind of boring, uh, the voiceover industry has changed a ton in, um, in the last 10, 12, 15 years, mostly because of home studios that actors have to have, voice actors, and because of the, the pay sites um, that, that some of them, Voices.com and Voice123.com, that... Um, have just changed the nature of the industry. And it has flooded the market with more opportunity than you ever had as a voice actor, but way more people doing it. And so something I used to be able to rely on as probably half my my bread and butter per year, if not more on some years, um, just kept getting chopped away and chopped away and chopped away. Um, you know, and of course, as an actor, you're like, what am I doing? Am I sucking all of a sudden? Like, mm-hmm. right? And you know, you're like, no, this is voice. It's, it's voiceover. It's not that. Uh, it's not Shakespeare, right? Mm-hmm. It's not The Crucible. Um, it's it really is because uh, there were just there's that many more people submitting per job and nationally, mm-hmm. you know, because actors can work from home because they all have home studios. So when this opportunity arose <laughs> to take over as a voiceover agent mm-hmm. um, at Donna Baldwin, um, I kind of jumped on that. Uh, 
which is nice because it's, I can do it. I already knew the business mm-hmm. because you're representing yourself as your own agent in this business all the time anyway. So, uh, I already knew the business. Um, then it's just became about managing a roster and signing, you know, people and, and, I'm also uh, an acting coach and a voiceover coach, so uh, my actors love me because I actually know what they go through as an actor. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, you get a lot of the thing about voiceovers, I would say 90% of the roster have no background in theater, no mm-hmm. formal acting training, no interest in doing anything other than voiceover. And so they don't speak the language that, that we speak as, as actors. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like I have, and it's not to say that they're bad. No. Because again, most, at least commercial and narration voiceover, there's voiceover that requires acting for sure. Mm. But most commercial and narration, which is the bulk of what pays, mm. um, it's, it's mostly, you know, Read, reading out loud well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it is. And so if you can mm. take a piece of copy, narration, script, or otherwise, and sound good. It's not about, it's not this guy anymore. In fact, there's a backlash against that because that voiceover was the only voice in town, you know, men dominating, you know, this or this guy and those Mm. poor guys, you know, I I know them and I have them on the roster and they're always just sort of like, why don't I get jobs anymore? It's like, sorry, they don't want that anymore. Now what they want is real, real, real. Mm. And that's great, you know. Um, But I do have to hone some of these, uh, some of these people hone the, the, the acting part of it for them because they just don't have any uh, of that anchoring in that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I love doing voiceover myself. It's just, uh, unfortunately, the, the industry has changed. And so, mm-hmm. I, so I took over this job. And um, I like actors. I like people who, who because it's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I like vulnerable people. So uh, because then I can prey on them. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I, 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 I like Rubik's cube. No, 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 I mean, it's, it goes back to what I was saying before. Yeah. I mean, I, I like vulnerability because yeah. I think there's no point in living this life that is decidedly vulnerable. It, it, pretending that it's not, mm-hmm. I don't think gets you anywhere. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I understand because it's a painful, there's, there's, there's a lot of pain in this life. So building up walls against vulnerability mm-hmm is completely understandable. I get it. Mm. I just don't, I can't do that. It's not in me. I, I wish I could sometimes, you know, but I, because God knows I've been through the ringer a million times over, but I don't know how to do that. So, so for me, you know, when vulnerable actors come to me as a coach or in this case as an agent, um, you know, much as it also can be tiring, like, you know, I get a lot of submissions per week, uh, and some people already are doing voiceover, and they're mm-hmm. looking for representation. And a lot of them are just like, "I just started this. Tell me, tell me what I'm supposed to do." I, you know, um, yeah, you know, people tell me I have a really good voice all the time, you know, and I, I really want to get into voiceover. I hear you can make a lot of money in voiceover. All all these typical things, and I'm like, okay, I really don't want to do, that. you know, but I I can't say no, so I end up. Uh, sort of, you know, taking them under my wing and, you know, walking this line of not wanting to burst their bubble while not wanting to blow smoke up their ass. Because yeah. what what good does it do to uh, send someone off into this career, voiceover or any aspect of it, um, with the idea that it's not as hard as it is, I, you know? But you don't want to step on people's dreams. So so that's a, that's a fine line to walk, and I've honed <laughs> that skill, I think, fairly well. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the voiceover thing. No, I I think from a from a person who's also done coaching, like I 
I, I've taught here at the JCC on a, on a handful of occasions, and uh, we'll probably do it again given the right opportunity. But it's I'm working with kids, and I'm like, this is the job. Like, this is how hard it is, and this is what you have to do. And if you're not ready on this day, then you're then you're hurting yourself, and you're hurting the opportunity that you have, and you're hurting the process as a whole. And yeah, I try and spell all that out. And then once I've spelled out the difficulties and the challenges that they face, that's when I start doing the build-up process. Yeah. It's like, okay, so we tried our hand at A. Let's try B and see if that works. And I've got C and D in the back pocket if you need it. And they, You kind of have to do it that way. Yeah. I think because I came from, uh, from, from a, a mom who was already a professional, uh, it was drilled into my mind, dr- drilled into my my. Uh, acting world from a, from an from the get go, yeah. professionalism was drilled into that, uh, and so what that means to me, I get is different than what it sometimes means to other people, um, but w- I know what it means to me, and so, but I don't see that as uh, it can be frustrating because your professionalism comes up against someone else's whose is not the same as yours, mm-hmm. but for me personally, I would have it no other way for myself because quality um, comes from that professionalism. And I don't think there's any reason to do this if you don't want to do it to the best of your, there's no reason to do anything if you don't want to do it to the best of your ability. Mm. And so that was drilled into my head from an early age. And what you find, what I've found when I direct kids or coach kids, and, and it's the same if you're coaching kids in sports or anything like that, where you, you don't have to, uh, you know, drill professionalism, professionalism into them with, uh, you know, a whip, you drill it into them by making them understand that the the real fun comes from that. And sure enough, I, I've seen it every show my mom's ever directed with kids, every show that I've directed, where they have more fun when you've instilled that quality in them. Thank you. Of, uh, of why doing, why not waving to your parents, you know, yeah. <laughs> during their oh, yeah. why? Why, <laughs> even, even if you're eight, <laughs> these things matter, and even if they don't fully understand it intellectually, some part of them gets it, and I know it from experience. Where the kids that I've directed, when the show was over, you know, uh, were just heartbroken, like they just d- didn't want it to end, and and I think um, a lot of that is just because you instill in them this belief that they can, why it's important, why it's important to want to be the best you, you can be, um, in, in something like this, yeah. you know? So I, when I approached acting and I got started and this is, this is definitely an old anecdote that, uh, some of my ghosties are probably pretty familiar with, but I came from it from a background of learning how to be a part of a sports team. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, football, basketball, yeah. baseball, coaching kids along those lines. And while I'm coaching them specific skill sets, like I'm urging them to be as good as they possibly can be because W's are fun. Right. And when you get into, and not to say that losses can't be fun, we do not want to play the game if we're not having fun. No, and at least if you've lost, if you knew that you gave it your all and you didn't lose it because you didn't give it your all, um, yeah, you still feel satisfied. Exactly. You know? That's a great point. And I, I think that's one of the things that I miss for the longest. That's a great that's a great word to encapsulate this thought. I was constantly pushing myself. I was constantly trying to be the best. And I was doing this presentational acting for a really long time in my career. 
at least the first seven years. And I didn't start transitioning out of that until I realized just how hollow I felt with the presentational form of it. Because the thing that I wanted to say when you were talking about those types of actors and that type of acting performance wise is that there are authentic moments that creep into that type of actor, that type of person. And they don't know what that is. They never, <laughs> they don't like to feel that authenticity. And so they wall it up right. and they, and, and it, I'm, I'm hung up on this, this tweet I saw um, that my friend uh, Hayden posted about how people are so wrapped up in their own trauma that trying to show them that there's another thing is insulting to them. Mm. And there are people who are locked up in their processes, their belief structures, any of those things sure. that offering, an, even if it's just an offer of another avenue, it's, it's, a, it's a gigantic turnoff. And at this, like, this type of... How did you crime, finally come to then realize that, that when you had those breakthroughs mm -hmm. amidst a sea of, of presentation... Yeah that that's where you needed to go. That's where you wanted to go. It was the catharsis, mm -hmm. the, the personal therapeutic catharsis. And, and, and we've often talked on this podcast, and it's often been a note in many acting classes I've taken, that don't treat theater as a, me, as a means of dealing with your, 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 your mental stuff. It's, just, it's not necessarily therapy. But I think if you are not aware of what a moment in a play does to you, like, why am I choked up when I watch Jay put his scarf on Anastasia as she's leaving? That gets me every night. I don't have to I don't have to facilitate anything and I don't watch any of it because I am I it's it's a personal moment between a husband and wife character and I feel like in this community we don't get to watch those things. Yeah. So I turn away from it, but all of it is echoing something inside my brain, inside my heart and when I was younger, I would have those moments and I would feel those things and I'm like, well, I was blocked to just be stern here. But why do I feel that way? What is it about this relationship? What is it about intimacy? And I would learn those things and I would want to follow that more. Yeah. Because... Because it feels good to be vulnerable. It does vulnerable. feel good. I mean, that's, that's the thing about it. And I think that most... I think the, I think the problems in our, in our society, uh, you know... Could so if everyone just did a show, you know, but but it really, it, I think most people and and again, you know, especially with with toxic masculinity, which let's face it, there's there's a lot more women in our society who seem to be toxic masculine now at this point, you know, where where you where as a man, I'm looking back and going like, oh man, what's what's happening there? Why why are you so uh, aggressive? You know, and I guess that's just a metaphor for aggression, toxic masculinity, you know, in yeah. in my mind, but. Uh, I I don't think these people want to be that way. Ultimately, I think I don't think they're bad people. Mm. I think it's just about getting back to this place. Here's how I look at it: is is, and I have strong political opinions for sure. Mm. But I but I as a as a as a dog guy, you know, uh, passionate dog guy. Shout out to dogs. Yeah, shout out to dogs for sure. Right. Um, Pet them if you got them. I just lost my two pups uh this year in 2021 mm -hmm. within two months of each other uh one was 17 one was 18 but for for a year and it's it's been a strange adjustment um not having dogs in my life for the first time in so long but day after day and i was i was like committed to walking my dogs every day and you know i would think about this as as politics would uh 
you know, overwhelm me that if I see someone else with a dog, when I'm walking my dog, the first thing I think is, well, first I'm like, oh, that's a cute dog. And then I think, oh, that's a person who likes dogs too, right? I mean, you know, or even if it's unspoken uh, or unthought, I mean, the, the presumption is we're, we're alike. We both, we both like dogs. Mm. And, you know, may, and of course, dog lovers come in all shapes and sizes. But my guess, and, and sometimes you'll start talking to that person because the dog starts sniffing. And you aren't thinking, you know, like, oh, but what if this person is, you know, this way or that way mm. politically or, or, you know, some kind of hater. You're just, you, you don't care. Yeah. And if that person in that moment... Um, started, you know, having a heart attack or, you know, something happened, you die, it's not, you're just helping another person. Like, it's not that, I really, really, really believe that that is at the core of our problem. And it's, it's on both sides, Mm -hmm. you know, on the left, obviously we tend to be more touchy feely, uh, saying, you know, that we care more. But we're all bunched up too, yeah. And so we all need. To- we're bunched up about saying that we're touchy feely and really supportive. Like yeah. we are really locked into being that yeah. type of person. Yeah. yeah. And we might be saying that to convince ourselves that that's what we are, yeah. and not doing the work to. I'm get not there. a hater, but I hate that guy. Exactly. You know? um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I do think that there, there, that is what keeps me in theater. In, in part, is just, and and it's actually. Uh, you know, I guess sometimes it's uh, it's a problem because we assume because we're in theater mm. that oh everybody's as vulnerable as we are, um, and and I think most probably are much less. Um, but I also feel like when you're vulnerable around people who uh, are are not naturally vulnerable, it brings their their vulnerability out really easily. Mm. I mean, I've experienced it so many times in my life, and. I, you know, this, so it always makes everything better, yeah. um, as far as I can tell, and it surely makes everything in theater better. And, and you know, I agree with you that it, theater's not a, a place. You know, you don't want to be. But it's you, you can't have to, rely on it. Well, I think of what you're saying is like you can't rely on theater to be your therapy at every th- time. That's what I was going to say. Right? Yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's it's therapy in that this craft is by definition. You can't if you if you aren't willing to to go into yourself, mm-hmm. then you're not going to be authentic. Obviously, there's there's a time and a place for it in a rehearsal process, and you don't you know you this is where professionalism is sometimes like okay well you know we got to move on we can't we can't do this and I'm guilty of it as as any director who's, who's worked with me would probably tell you like okay Jordan but we really have to move on you know. Um, okay. I wish we had more time to do mm. so much table work and yes. so much scene work. But I will also tell you that I have been in in theater experiences. In particular, um, I did I Love You Perfect Now change at the Denver Center. Mm. And the director who, who came out from New York to direct that, a guy named Ray Roderick, is... He was an actor first, and I think some of the best directors were actors because they know that it's vulnerable, right? Mm. Um, so he was an actor first, and he was able to, he's so vulnerable as a person and as a director from day one that all you want to do is is be as vulnerable as you possibly can. And I don't think he's faking it. You know, you'd see through that bullshit. He's, he, he loves theater so much. He loves people. He loves love. He loves relationships so much that from day one, he had you ready to be as open as possible. And I'm telling you, 
somehow in that rehearsal process, and you're, you're doing eight hours a day, six days a week for two and a half weeks or, you know, three weeks before your first preview. So, I mean, it's that kind of intense schedule of, of, you know, your, uh, of, you know, that, that kind of union schedule, but, and, and a musical. So you have, you have, you needed time for music rehearsals and choreography and all the rest of it. But he always had ample time to, to work the acting of it. And mm. I will say this to my dying acting day that I think whatever it feels like in a process, we don't have time for that because the stress of getting it up on its feet, you know, all the technical aspects of theater, all of that, all the show of, of, of a show, what is the point? I've seen a million shows that are beautiful and mm. big and, and uh, you know, amazing theatrically, and I didn't care about mm. anyone on stage. And it wasn't because the, the actors weren't quality actors. It wasn't because the material wasn't quality. It's, it, I, I think it's, you know... You can get a sense of it. You feel I think it. it's because a lot of times in that process, uh, some directors... Either they think like, you know what, you're an actor. It's not my job to hold your hand mm. in this process. Mm. It's your job to do it on your own. And it's like, well, yeah, again, we're not asking you to do the performance for us, but we're going to be better. It is your job to to want the show to be as good as it can be. And I'm telling you, it's going to be better if we're as good as we can be. And we're going to be as good as we can be if that vulnerability is there. And so taking the time that might feel like it's undercutting, oh God, but we really got to get this staged. We got to get this staged. You get it staged yeah. and it's going to be so much better. And yeah. I, as an audience member, I feel like if I had to choose between being an actor for the rest of my life or being an audience member, I'd be an audience member because I would rather be moved ultimately by storytelling than doing the moving if I had to choose. Um, but so frequently I go in and I don't go in as an audience member with like actor chip on my shoulder, like, all right, impress me. Let's mm -hmm. see what you got. Like, I don't, I don't care. First of all, I'm paying for a ticket. Um, you know, I want my money's worth and I, and I want to be moved. Yeah. And so frequently I will go see something and it's got all the parts there except the most important part. The heart. And right. And, and not because I'm judging it, mm -hmm. but because if it didn't move me and it's not the material mm -hmm. and it's not the, the the quality of the actors that you have on that stage, then it's got then there's only one other choice. Mm -hmm. And it's because you didn't take the time to to do the most important thing from this actor's point of view. I think it's the most important thing. And I'm telling you, part of why I Love You Perfect Now Change ran for four years, because it's not I mean that that material is mostly fluff. I mean it's accessible and it's it's good fluff, but mm -hmm. it's fluff, right? Um but the reason that fluff ran for four years is because I strongly believe because he was able to create something with that show that it doesn't, it isn't usually. Um, I mean, he would come back after it's a, it's a trippy experience doing a show eight times a week for four years because as soon as you get past like the two month mark, you, you're already doing you're doing more performances of a single show than you've ever probably done, you know, mm -hmm. or I was. And so let alone when you're at the six month mark or the one year mark or the three year mark, it's, it's insane. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's so crazy, but he would come back, uh, and see the show. And of course it would get, you know, get sloppy and things, you know, you starting to phone some stuff in and stuff like that. And somehow you've done it hundreds of times now. And he would still do pickup rehearsals for two days, mm -hmm. you know, hours, uh, two days and work scenes 
work moments that you'd done hundreds of times and you would find new things. And then you'd go do the show that night and lo and behold, that thing that you're talking about, because instead of playing for the laugh, because you knew that was coming and you're like, oh, this is where I get this big laugh. Mm-hmm. And, and you undercut everything that got you the laugh in the first place, which is being honest. But you can't be honest if you aren't being vulnerable. And so he would suck us back into that vulnerability. Uh, and sure enough, the laughs were way bigger than they'd been week in and week out. And you felt that pureness mm-hmm. of, of craft that you're talking about that is always worth it. It's always worth yeah. it. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. It is hard. And it's especially hard when you're doing it, you know, uh, eight times a week. But he, he proved to me in my career, and that, you know, that was 20 years ago that we, we opened that show. Uh, he proved to me that, no, it's always possible in any show with any material to go back to the basics of, of what we all learned in acting class, you know? Mm-hmm. What was the first, I remember my first college acting class, and of course back then I was, I was a punk, you know, I'd already been the star of all my high school shows, you know, and, and, and I had an amazing high school theater teacher too, so I actually had been exposed to a lot of really great acting training, but, you know, thought I knew everything. And so acting 101 my freshman year at UCLA and we're doing trust exercises, you know, and falling into each other's arms and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, was, I was just like, oh, my God, man, I want to do scenes. I want to do, like, raw stuff. I want to cry. But then fast forward, you know, uh, into my career, I'm like, oh, right. It is about trust and it is about vulnerability and it is about that stuff. It, it is. A, I absolutely believe it's about that stuff, regardless of whether it's, you know, a fluffier script or the crucible. You can't go into that, at least most actors. I mean, there are probably actors who are, you know, as a person um, and, and tuned out who somehow can then like turn it on and it's still an amazing performance, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. I would did I think Len said in his podcast, and I thought this was interesting, that some of the best actors that he that he knows of or has worked with are actually um, crazy. Or I think I forget what the, what exactly oh. what he said. Yeah, no, we are crazy. He didn't say he didn't say not vulnerable, but but the suggestion was at least the way I was interpreting that statement in the moment was uh, that that somehow maybe maybe in his experience some of the best actors he's worked with are maybe not uh, vulnerable people to be around. Um, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's sort of what I was taking in that moment. Um, and I, I marvel at that. Uh, you know, of course, we, we've all seen like method guys who are like, you know, super nutty and, and you know, have blow ups and things like that. And I get it. This stuff is intense. And, and surely if you're Christian Bale and you're, you know, you're, you're working at that level and someone blows a take mm-hmm. um, because of a, a gaffer walking through the scene, you, you're going to lose your temper. But to his credit, he also very genuinely after that, you know, um, was so full of genuine humility and said it's, it's uncalled for. It is completely unacceptable. But you got to understand where what what I am doing with with my instrument when I do this stuff, and that's why he's so effective, I think. But you know, yeah, you could have great performances by someone who is a sociopath. I guess, yeah, I, guess so. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think that's one of the things that I love about theater. You were talking about all the people that it attracts. Hopefully, we we got some of that. I'm sorry, Dan. Dan's looking right at me. One of the things I love about theater, (laughs) as now I'm closer to the microphone, (laughs) I I really like to do this whole thing, like like I'm fucking Shatner here, like sliding from side to side in my (laughs) chair as I talk to people. Um, Jordan, Jordan, don't you tell me what? (laughs) 
But so you were talking about the, the people that the theater attracts. And it it is like any large grouping of people, like a football team, a basketball team. These are we these are tropes we've used a lot tonight, but they're they're very true. You have people with different upbringings, different ways of handling things, different traumas, experience, so on and so forth. The list is is varied. And I feel like you can be an authentic, effective actor yeah. if you are a guarded human being. And you, you, can, you can, yeah, yeah, I think you can. It's, it's when you, it's where you choose to be that. And I think one of the things that you might encounter if, if you're guarded all the time is like you pick your spots. How sure, vulnerable sure. am I? How authentic do I go here? Um, and it doesn't mean that. You mean you pick your spots uh, within a, a script, or you pick your spots in life? All of the above. Sure. Yes. But I, even but even in a script, I think that ideally, and of course, none of us are there, you know, all of the time in a show, right? Because again, it's like meditation. But ideally, if you could, if you could do, if you could be, and I don't, again, I don't mean like masturbatory kind of vulnerability on stage where mm-hmm. you're milking everything. What I mean though is just, mm-hmm. uh, and because we 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 obviously have to focus on a whole lot of things when we're on stage or on camera for that matter. So you can't. You're not just present as this character all the time. You got to hit your mark. You got to hit yeah. your light. It's like in, in Miner's Alley. It's like, oh man, this I got to make sure these angles are right because mm-hmm. there's it's this weird shaped theater with yeah. three you know three three sides. Um, you have to think about those things too. It is a very technical craft, but in that in in all that technicality, clearly what you're trying for is to be as present as possible, and and being present is being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying that that obviously there you know you're not going to be there all the time but but I think the desire should be the goal should be to be as present as possible right yeah I would I mean yes I think that's my desire and we we've admitted that there are people from different walks of life who make it to various stages within the community or within the game of theater performance art that can do this without being totally authentic and stick around for years. Oh, sure. And and make careers out of it. Right. It's so like I I, I I tread on the side of like I'm never gonna tell anyone how to do their work. Their process is their process. And I and I I, I don't judge it because watching me do this show, anyone would think that he'd like he doesn't, I don't know how much he cares. I'm sitting in a chair watching football up until my cue. <laughs> like literally on Sundays, that's what I'm doing. That doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think yeah. that. I think it can be turned on mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, yeah. uh, you need people to call you by your character name no. backstage and, and remove yourself from the Things fun. I've done. The yeah. fun that is theater as well. I don't, I don't agree with yeah. that. I've I, had to I, try it all. Yeah. That's right. And I don't judge people's process either, but I do ultimately... Uh, I'm going to be affected or I'm not by their performance and, and by my own performance, you know? And, and so, um, I, I mean, I think there's two, two ways to look at what, I mean, there are people who have longevity, uh, you know, in Hollywood or, or, uh, in Denver, you know, yeah, wherever, you know, they, they have, they have longevity and maybe you're like, you know, that guy's no good. Um, Orlando longevity Bloom. isn't because, what'd you say? Orlando Bloom. You're not an Orlando Blue I'm not, fan. I'm not, He's Lego Laws, man. Come yeah, on. sure, whatever. Any <laughs> any pretty boy could have played that Elfin Freak. Um, I don't believe he was shooting those arrows. And if all you all you Lord of the Rings fans can can get at me, 
Um, <laughs> you know what you, I, I would have put anyone in that part. I actually am a huge Lord of the Rings uh, movie fan. I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I have, I have not read the books, and you know, uh, I've, I've been excoriated. Remember his last name is properly pronounced Tolkien. Yes. Anyway, go ahead. Right, but I will say that um, it did strike me as odd watching Orlando Bloom in those movies because I assumed. Because I always thought like, oh, this guy, is, he must not be British because he's sort of got a bad British accent. And then I found out that he was British and I thought, oh, maybe that's just because he's not that, <laughs> that good of an actor. Like if a British actor he's just not seems that like they have a bad British. British accent, so yeah. you assume they're an American doing a bad British accent. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, maybe maybe not yeah. so good. Especially so. with the first name like Orlando. <laughs> but then again, there there's a movie out there starring um, the Amazeballs Tilda Swinton, I believe, entitled yeah. Orlando. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So what do I know? <laughs> so, Going back to what we were talking yeah, about. I, I don't I just, need to stop I, it just so we can shit on Orlando Bloom. <laughs> great. Yeah. yeah. You know, Orlando Bloom's going to hear about this, and I'm never going to get to be oh, in man, another Lord of the Oh, man, get at me. Orlando Bloom, if you want this smoke, come and get it. I, I will I will do the <laughs> whole Tony right. Stark and give you my address, brother. Anyway. No, I actually, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe it's just because I geek out when I watch Lord of the Rings, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with Legolas. And you're allowed to geek out there. <laughs> but I do think that, I think you're right. I think that there are, there are levels of, of this vulnerability that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and surely as a person, you can be uh, less vulnerable. As an actor, you can be less vulnerable than, than others. And, you know, let's face it, there are also actors who are just like, blah, look at me. It's, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm an open book. And you're yep. like, uh, maybe you need to, you know, sort of. Some uh, of those people you know, start podcasts. Some of those people what? start podcasts <laughs> about acting. You? No, oh. of course not. No, definitely me. No, definitely yeah, me. No, but you're not. But what, what I mean is like they're always on. Yeah. You know? But, I but get actually, you. I don't see that as vulnerable. I see that as a wall. I see that as a performance, mm-hmm. and and that's covering up real vulnerability. Yeah. But but you know that that said, that doesn't mean they aren't without skill. And maybe when they get on stage, that's when the vulnerability does happen. Mm-hmm. So so yes, it's possible that off stage. Uh, the walls come up and on stage maybe they come down I, you know for and so so I stand corrected in that I don't think that great acting is, uh, has to be people who are always an open book um, but I do think that at least when you're doing the great acting if you are, at least not a student of the human condition, starting with your own human condition, I just don't I don't know how it's possible. Yeah. I don't know how you could tap into um, yeah. Last year, the show that I was in when COVID hit, that uh, I was so fortunate because we only had our final three performances canceled, where friends around me mm. are having, <laughs> yeah. who are about to open shows and, and the whole thing's canceled or about to start rehearsals and the whole contract is, is dust. Um, I did a, a show called Secrets of the Universe and Other Songs at the Aurora Fox. There was a new show, um, and I, I played Albert Einstein in it. And mm. He ages throughout the show, and in the in the the final part of the show, he's is basically right before he's he's about to die. Mm. And my dad was dying. Oh. I, he didn't have much, you know. He only had, as it turns out, maybe another month to live. And I knew, I knew, I knew this. Um, he was in North Carolina, and I was in Denver. And as I'm playing. Uh, you know, this old gray character with a mustache, my dad's old gray character with a mustache, in, in, and he's talking about his, his, his death that's mm. coming um, in, in these final scenes. And uh, there is zero chance that I'm not thinking about my dad in that moment. <laughs> There's mm. zero chance that's not mm. happening. Um, 
but I'm, but, but I'm a professional and I care about uh, uh, the storytelling and I care about these people who, who uh, bought tickets. Mm-hmm. So of course I'm, I, I have to keep it in check so that I don't lose my shit, you know, in that moment. Totally. But I absolutely used all of that in that moment as mm-hmm. well. Um, I would have been doing myself and the show and the role a disservice not to use this very authentic vulnerability in that moment. And it was it was maybe the most powerful acting experience I've ever had because mm-hmm. I've only had my dad die once. And uh, sure enough, as I was sort of referencing before, here's this role that is dropped in my lap while my dad is dying and I'm playing mm-hmm. this character. Um, it, and amazingly, we got to tape it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because usually with equity, uh, you know, you don't get to tape the show. Now mm-hmm. we have different rules because of COVID and streaming and stuff, which is great. Um, but I managed to sort of finagle that we, we could, you know, that it would just be shared with, with my parents, you know, who are in North Carolina. Um, so my dad could see it before he died because he didn't come out and see it. And we managed to get the videographer in there on the last show before it was canceled. Uh, the, the final, so it was the final Thursday before the Friday, Saturday and Sunday were canceled. And I was able to, they were able to watch it on their big TV Mm. and he was cognizant enough to take it in and everything. And, oh my God, I mean, it was, it it absolutely felt like that was meant to be, you know, Mm. and and I don't necessarily, uh, you know, subscribe to, you know, everything's meant to be, you know, in in, in a sort of uh, glib way. But man, that felt like it, it aligned so beautifully and... Again, I, you know, how could I have played that without being vulnerable? Yeah. There's just, there's no way. Mm-hmm. And I think it absolutely made my performance better yeah. um, to to be open to that. But I, I wouldn't judge someone for not being able to do that because that shit's hard. Yeah. You know, oh, it, was, yeah. it was hard. And I did have to rein it in sometimes because I, sure. as I'm sitting there playing this, I, you know, there were times where I'm just thinking of my dad while I'm doing it. Um, you know, and, and wanted and almost just lost it. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, professional, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're playing a role, you know, rein it in. But yeah. It, it, yeah. it's what I, I don't want to speak to that moment for in terms of like how I'm sure you adjusted the process. But I mean, what you, I think what you're describing is like it, it, it fueled some type of reverence and or respect to the moment that this character is living through. That's what living it, through it right because own. I haven't been an old dying man yet, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so we talk about acting and and it is pretending. Yeah. So, so as much uh, backstory or as much sense memory or as much method as you want to try to do, you, you, there's things that you will not have experienced. Yeah. So, so it's imagination. It's pretending, mm-hmm. and you can associate all you want, but. I had never had a dad die, and I've never been an old dying man. Mm. So guess what? I I absolutely you know did everything I could to to feel like what that would feel like, and not just an old dying man, but in his case, uh, in Einstein's case, and in my dad's case, I think an old dying man with with all these regrets mm. and all these unfulfilled uh, you know aspirations, and. That's what made it the most heartbreaking. Yeah. The, the dying wasn't the heartbreaking thing. It was dying with uh, all of that regret. Mm-hmm. And man, I mean, if that doesn't break your heart wide open, then what? What is? What's going to break it open? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's 
first of all, let me just say thank you for sharing that that story with us. I mean, that's that's fucking beautiful, and thank you very much. It it, it I know my personal self like. I I really hope I don't get a part around that time when my mom's got to go. Yeah, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be one of those things where I'm like, okay, I don't know how ready I am for this, but let's go for it anyway. But so thank you. That that I'm sure was not the easiest thing. It, it wasn't uh, to talk about it or to do it to f- all of it. Well, I mean, for me, because I mean it when I say mm-hmm. it about this vulnerability factor in life. Um, and this authenticity factor in life that it, it, it's not easy because it hurts, mm-hmm. but hurting is not uh, something. Hurting is authentic. Mm-hmm. So, so if if I if I'm gonna be authentic as I can be as a person, then then even when it hurts, uh, you know, there's a part of it that's so beautiful, and. Um, I think we are here to be that. I think, surely as a Buddhist, I, I think that, you know, and any spiritual, uh, you know, practitioner, someone who is on a spiritual path, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not, not just material, but, but spiritual, then I think that's what you, what you realize when things hurt. From, when, I mean, when my dogs died within two months of each other yeah. this year, it's... It was harder than my dad dying because I took care of those dogs every day for 17 years, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I know that might sound a little strange, but harder in the sense that, uh, very specifically, these are beings that I take care of. Mm-hmm. My dad took care of me, yeah. losing him, but losing a being that you're taking care of is its own kind of grief. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to go through that again, but... It's raw and real, and uh, and I think that if we are going to tap into as as humans, our, uh, our our true nature, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it Buddha nature in Buddhism. You call it God nature, Christ nature. Call it um, you know uh, enlightened nature, whatever. If 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 we indeed have that ability to discover a bigger sense of why we're here and who we are mm-hmm. more than just, you know, this perceived otherness, this self and other, this dualistic thing. Sam's in, Sam has long hair and Jordan has this, you know, we, we were so sight oriented and it just reinforces duality all the time. But I think we all have this true sense, which is why it feels good to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. this true sense that the, the, the thing we really are that transcends this temporary otherness, this trend, this temporary duality the reason it feels good even when it hurts, it feels right even when it hurts, is because you're tapping into what what you really are. Mm-hmm. But if you if you if you are too afraid of the hurt, then you can't. Uh, then 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 you're selling yourself short. You're selling your your journey short. Mm-hmm. I had a situation with a homeless guy, on uh, on the side of the freeway who was always there when I used to live over uh, off of Federal and, and uh, by Regis for mm. years. And it was always the same guy over off of I-70 and Federal. And he, you know, like all of us, you, you're, you're getting off the freeway and you see, uh, you know, people uh, panhandling and, and 
you know, some people totally ignore it. Some people give money and then roll up their window. And, mm. you know, I, I don't know. I only know me, but I know that it's, it's always a little uncomfortable, right? Because, and, and of course, you've also been told things like, well, you know, if you give them money, they just drink it away and you should just give it to a homeless shelter and blah. And it's like, okay, but the, the impetus to help that person, mm. I think, is, is the most important thing. And so on this particular day when I was, when I pulled off on this off-ramp that I pulled off on several times a day, mm-hmm. here's this guy, and he had, um, his hands were malformed. Mm-hmm. So not only was he, you know, um, uh, homeless, he, was, he, he had a physical disability, and he had cleaned up trash and stuff. And so I rolled down my window, and... Um, I was determined, you know, I was going to give him some money and I was determined, I was determined, and he was, he said, I just want you to know that I, that I, that I worked, you know, I cleaned up, I cleaned up over here. So I'm not, I'm not just begging, you know, I worked and I kept the, the clean and, and, and so I'm seeing this and I'm seeing his hands and I, and in this moment I'm like, okay, I am giving him money is, is one thing, but what do we do usually when we give him money? We're like, okay, bye. And you roll up the window and you turn your head cause it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's vulnerable. You're seeing this person who you're just like, uh, okay, I want, I want to be a good person. But in this case, I was like, no, you know what? You're not going to roll up your window and you're not going to turn your head. You're going to keep talking to this human being who is you. Mm. And, and it was some crazy thing. For whatever reason, the light did not turn green. Like I was the first in, in the series. Yeah. And again, I, I took this off-ramp constantly and I knew what the cycle was on mm-hmm. this light. And for whatever reason, it glitched, whatever reason, right? Because I needed to have this experience. It it kept skipping cycles. And mm-hmm. so the traffic's piling up behind me, but I'm not going because it's still red. And so I'm talking to him and talking to him and and... And and the whole time, it's still also uncomfortable, and I want to turn my head and roll up my window and be on my way. And so finally, but I don't. And finally, you know, the light turns green. I'm like, okay, well, you know, be well, you know, take Mm -hmm. care. And then I I drive out. I still don't roll up my window. I'm just like, I'm not going to, because that's this this, this, uh, barrier, right? So I keep the window down, and I I drive on Federal, and my house is only like three blocks further. And I pull into my driveway, and I just lost it Mm. for like 10 minutes just weeping like I've never I mean it's I can feel it now like I mean it was this massive thing that I had not experienced for a reason like that I've Mm. I'd been through heartbreak that made me weep you know on that level but I'd never had it in in a situation like that and yet the whole time as open and and broken as or not broken but as as open-hearted and vulnerable as that felt Nothing could have felt more right. Hmm. That's because it, that's what I think we're here to do. And that's what I find so fascinating and beautiful about this art form that we do because we, as much as I love singing and as much as I uh, you know, admire musicians and painters and writers, they get to still sort of like be shielded. And yes, we're shielded behind characters, but it's still us out mm-hmm. there, right? And... Um, I, I think it's I think it's an amazing thing because of that 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 we get out there. People think that because we get applause. I'm actually very uncomfortable with curtain calls. Mm. I, it's it's an odd thing for me. Um, I you know it's sort of like okay, thank you. Can mm. I go now? Uh, you know, but it's it's not about that for me. It is about somehow being a part of that process of 
of trying to tap into yeah. our humanity, our, our the, the, uh, the deeper aspects of, of who we really are. And I, that's what I mean when I talk about vulnerability. Because, And maybe that's why it's hard for me to play Danforth. Mm. Because other than in that final scene where he's afraid that rebellion is gonna is is happening because he's afraid of you know being lynched mm-hmm. or or taken down from his power position. Um, there's a little bit of vulnerability there, but he doesn't have much room for vulnerability yeah. uh, if for no other reason than uh, you know to save his to save himself, right? Yeah. Um, and so I don't. It's rare that I play a character who uh, it just has no vulnerability so so little vulnerability and maybe that's why it doesn't feel so good when it's when it's done yeah. for me that's that's a good point i mean there's there, there's no release for you it feels like in the moments that you're on stage with them it's yeah. hard to get away from it the only release i get is the rage release which you know let's yeah, face yeah. it that can feel feel good too that's good uh, especially yeah. because especially in the moment where he rages in in that final final scene um, that he will not postpone these trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when he finally lets go. Yeah. So, so it's letting go, but it's letting go through rage. And I don't think ultimately that leads us to vulnerability. Sometimes, you know, there are people who aren't in touch with their anger, aren't in mm-hmm. touch with, you know, they've been somehow schooled to, you know, never let out their anger. And and I don't think that's um, healthy for us either, but no. it's a fine line because then obviously anger can feed on itself, you know, take road rage, how easy it is to, mm-hmm. you know, become enraged, you know, at a stranger, yeah. you know, on the road. But, uh, but yeah, that's as far as he, he gets in that is, is uh, to let it go. And then, because he always needs to be in control, he pulls it back in. He Danforth, you know, and it's like now back to business. You mm-hmm. know, what have you spoken with them all, Mister Hale? You know, mm-hmm. and he's, he's back at it. But yeah, that doesn't. That's not my favorite kind of character to play. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just there's not. no place for it to go. Sometimes, and when you come off stage, and that that recalibrating and reconnecting with Jordan is probably a little harder than it is on other shows. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, in the in the sense of. Uh, it's not so much recalibrating with Jordan, although I will say these last two weeks, um, you know, I got sick right before opening and I'm still lingering. Um, I've never been sick during the opening. I've been sick during runs of a show, you know, and the show must go on. So we pull it off and actors are, you know, what what this show needs is non-actors to listen to because I, because there are so many people who don't actually understand how weird this shit is that we do. Um, you know, we, everybody knows the show must go on, but they don't actually understand that actors are, you know, fucking troopers, man, on a level that a lot of people are, are n- never forced into. And when we say the show must go on, I mean, we fucking mean that yeah, shit, right? It, it, is, it is actually, uh, it's because it's about the, the whole it's not about you like, oh, I, I got to, the show must go on. I need to make sure that I go do my job. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, yes, it's part of that because your job is part of that whole. It always has that feel of it. But I've never been sick while trying to open a show. And so last week I was just like, oh, fuck, really? Yeah. And not to mention I was like, oh, God, what if it's COVID? You know, and fortunately, you know, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. We were all vaccinated. But still, you know, I was, I was worried. But, I mean, my head was cloudy and stuff. And then... We, we got through opening weekend, and last Monday, a week ago, I was, I was like, okay, now I'm, I'm feeling better. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, no shows. By Wednesday, I was feeling better. I'm, I 
I still now it came back. Mm. And I think it's because I'm playing this very aggressive character and it's an energy that despite the fact that I know that it's not me, mm. um, I think it's, I think it's affecting my body. Yeah. You know, I think that, that, uh, it's a fascinating concept too. My girlfriend's a neuroscientist. And so mm. we, um, we, we were talking the other day about, you know, they've done these experiments with athletes uh, where they hook them up to, to monitors of their brain where they run their race in their head and uh, see what fires in their brain. And they run uh, and they hook them up to the same monitors when they're actually running their, their race. And it's the exact, it's identical, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the implication there is, is that the brain doesn't know the difference in a lot of ways of uh, what we imagine versus what we are actually doing. Thoughts are things, and, 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 and our reality is shaped by that. And so, you know, it, it got me thinking about, like, well, if you are playing a really aggressive character, um, even if consciously you know, you know, that you're, I'm not really angry, I'm not angry at Proctor. I'm not angry at, at, at Giad. I'm not angry, you know, at any of the characters that I scream at, which I think is pretty much every character in the show. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I love everyone in this show. So, so I know that consciously, but I'm wondering if some part of my brain, I'm still, it's still releasing chemicals based on the outside in that I am, I'm raging on the outside because that's the performance mm. and it's affecting my health. I don't, I don't know for sure, but I, I don't know that I've ever felt better from a cold and then started, uh, you know, feeling oh, worse again yeah. like this. Um, but again, to be sure, it's not COVID because we're getting two tests a week. Yep. And and it's a cold and it sucks. But I, I do think that, that that's to the point again of, of, you know, how our instruments are ourselves. And, mm. and it's a trippy ass thing yeah. <laughs> for us to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we get going, I do want to, I want to like, we were talking before we really got started on the pod um, just about how the job in and of itself of being an actor is this vulnerable thing because it is us. And I think, and I, and I do want to, I do want to agree with you that I feel like for it to echo more than on the superficial, the, your work and just speaking to artists in general, I feel like it's going to be beneficial for you to, have it tap into just how authentically you come with yourself. And I feel like if you can start to do that, then you'll understand that you can get through anything. And, and that's one of the things that I've loved about my career that it's been through theater that I learned who I was and then got comfortable with, Oh no, I can actually indeed survive this. I have the tools. I belong here in this moment. Um, and that's something that I will forever cherish and will be one of the reasons why I can never really shake being a part of the community in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for sharing those those insights into it because I think I agree with you on all of it. Um, at this stage of the podcast, we always like to ask, what's that ghost light you wish was left on for you before you started your career that you'd like to leave on for the next generation? Well, I mean, I, I think I, I, everything that I've just been saying, I mean, I, I, think, I think this art form, which uh, as far as I know from my theater history class, uh, other than cave painting, you mm-hmm. know, telling stories, uh, you know, around the, the fire 
it's like the oldest art form, right? I mm-hmm. mean, theater and, and storytelling. And I don't fear that that's in danger anytime soon, but surely even prior to COVID, theater as a, as a professional theater or or not not just professional theater, but but uh theater is 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 a tough thing to keep open mm-hmm. right um i admire the crap out of people who start theater companies and start theaters and i've done it myself and and it's rough you know because you can't do it without dollars and dollars are 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 thin and then COVID just showed it that much more. And yet here, it's also so resilient because here we are. And as much as artists have been hurt, you know, uh, maybe disproportionately in a lot of ways through through the pandemic. Um, yeah, I just, I, I think this is such an important art form. I think all art is important, but there's something about storytelling. And I, and I, and I, I caution in our selfie society where everybody's the star, social media, everyone's the star of our own story now. Mm. And we were already the star of our story. Now it just actually looks like we're the star of our story, right? Um, I don't think that's the best way to be a character in our story. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I caution people who want to get into acting. When I do teach acting to kids or adults, my first question is like, why do you want to do this? And, and with kids, a lot of times, or I'll, I'll ask them who, who here wants to be famous, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I, they can see I'm, I'm, I'm about to manipulate them, but they, you know, a couple hands will go up, which I think is brave and, and honest. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. That's fine. You want to be famous. I yeah. get it. Um, and i and my answer is always the same, you know, that's fine. But if you want to be famous, then be the best actor that you can possibly be. And, and don't make, and make that your goal. Don't make being famous your goal. That that'll come or it won't. But make being the best actor your goal, and I, you know, I think that that's why it's important to take this craft uh, seriously. You know, for for what it is, have fun with it. It is fun to do this stuff, but take it seriously because if we if we, if it all just gets sort of. Uh, glommed into selfiehood, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then it undercuts the vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, we see it in this culture. It's too much. Mm-hmm. It's it's hurting us as people, yeah. theater or not. It's hurting us all as people to think that we are these images that we are that we are putting forth on little screens. I know, I know, it's not ultimately good for us. And so that that would be my ghost light is like you know get off the get off the selfie screen and I'm guilty of it too right mm-hmm. so it's not it's not judging I judge myself for it. Um, get off the selfie screen and get on a stage you know or get in a class do that stuff and promoting your show through social media is it's to, you know it's understandable yeah. that's that should be what it's for but I, that's that's my ghost light it's just like I, I want people to understand that even if you never become an actor, you never become a theater artist, or you never get the, the, the privilege of doing this stuff on the level that we're doing it, um, be in a, do, do it, be in a show. If you're young, do it in high school, do that stuff. I've yeah. never seen anyone regret that, yeah. ever. I've always seen people benefit from it. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's the ghost light that I want. If that, was that your question? Absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't want, this to die, but I also don't want it to be 
undermined by the wrong intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. any theater, any artistic endeavors is the long game. Yeah. And you gotta, you gotta love the crust of it in order to stay in it and for it to actually have the output that you want it to have. Yeah. I mean, that's just how, that's just how I feel about it. Like you, you don't want to half fast this. You, if you love it, you got to be a hundred percent. I'm throwing a whole bunch of cliches out right now, <laughs> but it's the, it's the truth. If you, it's like a relationship with a person. If you love that person, you try whatever you can to do to give them a hundred percent of you every moment. And if you are in a position where you cannot do that and communicating that you cannot do that isn't enough for them. At the very least, you can articulate that. If you're going to put yourself into an artistic endeavor, give it your all and have that be the focus. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and, and uh, it, it breaks it down as to why the, the, the significant part of any activity, whether it's motorcycle maintenance or, or you know, philosophy or, or, mm-hmm. or this, um, is about the quality of that Zen-like quality of being present mm-hmm. for its own sake. And if you focus, if you make that at, uh, if you make that your, your reason mm-hmm. for doing it, all the, then you're going to have a, a, a fine tuned machine, right? You're going to oh, have man. a motorcycle that's, that's not going to break down. You're going to have a show that's clicking on all cylinders. Like ours feels like it is now too. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not to say that, that perfectionism is, you know, because that can get in your way too. And I, I have a, a history of that as well. You can get pretty miserable if, if that's, uh, you know, what you're thinking in that process. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it's worth it to care about uh, the the quality of it because why why else do this stuff? Mm-hmm. I mean it's 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 too hard otherwise. Um, if you if you don't think that you know that that's that's worth it. So yeah yeah absolutely. Jordan, thank you again for being on the pod. My pleasure. Really appreciate right? it. It's been a lot of fun, oh. and look forward to seeing you again Thursday night. I'll for see you high, on Thursday. <laughs> high on your chair. Well, we're coming up. We're coming straight into Halloween, so there's there's no better time to come Absol- see this absolutely. witchy play. Get your tickets. Come see the witches. Come see your boy Giles Corey, otherwise known as <laughs> Sam Gilstrap, and then come see the guest Jordan is an awesome Danforth, and I really do mean that. Thanks so much for being here, Dan. It's been a long time. Do the damn thing. Just say Rubik's Cube. And that'll be that's our safe word. (laughs) Rubik's Cube is the safe word, and then we'll go like, okay, make sure, and we'll try and we try and be good about it. If we say Rubik's Cube, we know that this is a place we need to look to cut, and then we'll say, you know, we'll we'll clap or whatever when we're ready to go, and we'll know where to go from there. And I'll just ask you some random question like, uh, who do you think is the best tight end the Broncos have ever had? Say Shannon Sharp, Clarence K. Oh, right, Shannon Sharp. Okay, if you said anyone but Shannon Sharp, I think (laughs) we'd end this podcast right now.